There is a mobile game. It is not the most prominent mobile game in the world. It is probably one of the least important mobile games in the world, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to the company who produces it. In this game, you play an assassin, and your goal is to take out high-profile or troublesome individuals, whatever organization you're working for. Journalists don't seem to care that video games exist across a wide range of spectrum, wide genre. They don't seem to care that there are quite literally games uh, where you can kill a politician or something like that. They're, they're particularly upset right now because in the game, there is one mission where you kill a journalist. That makes a lot of sense from the standpoint of being an assassin. Apparently, the story is it's a single mission. A guy is going to pick up a briefcase of confidential information from a police informant, someone who's leaking information, and you've been hired to take him out because the information could be damaging to your, your you know, contractor or whatever. Well, journalists are outraged, completely furious. Here's a story from Huffington Post. Game asked players to kill a journalist to make him famous in a different way. Why is this news? It's absolutely not news until you realize that journalists are being, well, I, I don't, I, I want to say this. I think there's a lot of really great journalists, but I think the the profession attracts sociopaths who want power and are emotionally stunted. You end up with Huffington Post writing a story about some random mobile game where one of the missions is violent towards a journalist. I don't see them writing a story about any other character in the game. Why? Because they take it personally. Because journalists believe they are a special protected class. Now, I'll stress again. There are a lot of really great journalists. In fact, I'm working with some of them, and I'm trying to work with more. But this is a job that attracts those who want power, who are bullies. Because there's another story we're going to get into in a bit. The accusation that Vice News journalists broke into the home of the, uh, I believe, the owner of Infinite Chan or 8chan. Now, before we jump into the first story, check out TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a monthly donation option. There is a cryptocurrency wallet or a physical address. Uh, for sending stuff. And you can just share this video or click the like button and comment. At the very least, click the like comment because that tells YouTube it's a great video, apparently. So, uh, you know, or, or not, or you can hate me because I don't think I'm a, spe- I'm a special protected class. I think I'm a dude on the internet. But here's the story. A game that was featured on Apple devices and gaming platform Steam included a mission that asked players to gun down a journalist. And seriously, and I like, I, I okay, I play Civilization VI all the time. And quite literally, you have military units. I blow up cities. I take out religious folk. Like, it's, it's a game. It's a video game. These, like, journalists aren't the only target in video games. So why are they so concerned about it? Well, because they think they're special. The revelation was shared Sunday by New York Times journalist Jamal Jordan, who said in a tweet that his nephew showed him the game, Sniper 3D Assassin. The game is free to play and can also be accessed through Amazon, Google, and Microsoft app stores. My nephew is 10. And we had a very long talk after. The level was removed by developers from TFG Co. after HuffPost reached out and published its initial story. Let me, let me say this in no uncertain terms. These people, the technique they use is, is disgusting and coercive. Journalists know that by reaching out for comment, they're going to put PR pressure on a company and force them to bend the knee. In this instance, we can see another perfect example of how journalists are duplicitous egotists with sociopathic tendencies. I don't see these people reaching out to the game developer about any of the other missions in the game. They just want the one that slights them removed. 
and they will wield the power of their audience to get it. How psychotic is that? This is what they do to, you know, uh, YouTubers, people like Carl Benjamin. There was one instance where, uh, I'm, not sure if you're, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Raheem Kassam, uh, I believe he's a conservative, one of the co-founders of Human Events, tweeted how BuzzFeed took 30 real pro-Brexit accounts. Okay, these are real people. And ask Twitter why they weren't being banned. Twitter banned seven of them. Why? Because, listen, there are a lot of great people who work in journalism who want to do the right thing and help you better understand the world. Unfortunately, there is a lot of power in journalism. Let me, let me bring you to the great quote by George Orwell. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. To put it simply, journalists control the present. Not completely. But as the gatekeepers of information, or at least that's how they see themselves, they have that power. They wield that power. And that's why YouTubers are so dangerous. This is a really good example of something that that matters to no one. Literally to no one. Who cares about some silly little game where you have one mission where you, you know, shoot a guy in the head? You ever played GTA? What do you think that game is? All of these games that come out, even, you know, uh, Fallout, Skyrim, yes, they're violent games. You have weapons, you do things. That's, the, that's what the game is. They're fighting games. Mortal Kombat, jeez, you ever play Mortal Kombat? Woof, that stuff's brutal. Very gory, if, you're, if those are not familiar. So why? Why do the journalists write about this one simple game? Because it's a threat. Don't you write about us negatively or we will hurt you. And that's what they're doing here. Make, make no mistake. This story about this stupid game makes literally no sense to publish. I, I, I will ask you this. For those that are uh, uh, watching on YouTube, seriously, comment. Is there a reason to write a story about this? This is insane. They go on to add at the end, death threats against journalists have grown steadily in recent years. Excuse me. And I'm not surprised, though, when they do things like this. Now, certainly, death threats are incredibly wrong. One of, some of the worst, you know, it's, it's the, the precursor to actually harming someone should never be tolerated. And I agree that they've been growing and we shouldn't tolerate this. But when you repeatedly see journalists wielding their sociopathic power, using a platform to threaten people who don't agree with them, what do you think is going to happen? When BuzzFeed publishes opinion as fact all day and night, what do you think is going to happen? This is evil. It's, it is pure evil. It is selfishness. It is egotism. And this is what you know I experience when I work for these companies. Am I surprised to see that Huffington Post takes personal action against them when they feel slighted? No. I'm also not surprised to see that apparently, now this is an allegation. This is uh, Nick Monroe tweeted this. Attack on Infinite Chan owner. Vice reporters are showing up at the owner's house uninvited, breaking and entering. Police are now involved. Apparently, the man, I believe his name is Jim Watkins, put out a video saying that they stealthily entered his home and greeted them at his bedroom door. And he had, a, and he's, he said they're lucky to be lucky, be, lucky to be alive because he has a baseball bat. But his kids were there, so apparently he just made them leave. Now this is an allegation. I don't know if this is true or not, but I got to be honest. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Now I know many people at Vice News because for many of you that uh, aren't familiar, I was the founding member of Vice News. There was no official Vice News division before me. I was the first person involved. So I know many of the people there. I've reached out. They've gone dark. They, they haven't responded, which is weird. These are some of the people, you know, I message, they respond, no problem. All of a sudden now, everything's gone quiet. If you were to ask me, based on what I know about Vice and who I know there and the reaction that people have just shut up, 
I kind of think they did it. I think they broke they broke into this guy's house and are now in trouble. Uh, El Reeve, who I've met on a, I think a couple occasions, I've I I think she's you know she's fine. She's good at her job. I have no no issues with her. But she and uh, Lanny Levine have both locked their accounts. And and again, I've reached out to a few people, including L. No response. Just dead silence. So it's hard to know exactly. There was a post on Reddit. So apparently this is actually getting some traction. People are wanting to know what happened. But I guess the only footage we have is them in front of his house on some kind of surveillance footage. But it looks like, here's, here's what I can say. In this first photo, we can see what looks like L and I believe that's Lanny. I'm not sure who that is. But uh, then it shows someone else walking towards the house. It looks like they entered the home, right? So uh, 8chan is saying they're putting it out there because they want to make sure that uh, HBO knows they don't have permission to use the footage. I would be surprised if they cared. Apparently this happened in the Philippines, right? So in this tweet, this is one of the people who, sh- who originally shared the anger over the journalism story. Responding with this quote from Paul Huntsman, to undermine the press is to me no different than undermining our houses of worship. It infuriates me that we don't have the same amount of outrage when freedom of the press is under attack. Well, I certainly think freedom of the press is paramount. We need a strong journalistic industry to protect us, to make sure that we are informed. But to, uh, to, to act like, th- my God, <laughs> you know, this is in response to some silly video game. And they're acting like it's the end of the world. They're acting like it's a personal attack on the press. It's crazy. And then what they do is they contact the company and say, why did you do this? And the company bows to the pressure. Well, you know what? Stop doing it. Stop bowing to the pressure and tell these people off. (laughs) I was going to swear. I'm not going to swear. I can't uh, because of the podcast. Uh, Well, I just don't like swearing anyway. But tell them off. Tell them no. Tell them I don't care. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if this silly, ridiculous story inspires a game. Just when I first heard this, I thought it was someone making a game where it was a bunch of journalists, right? Because I was hearing that that journalists were outraged over this game, and I thought it was going to be something specifically targeting journalists. And then it turns out it's just a general game with a general theme. What, 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 What really blows my mind with these journalists, I'll do air quotes, is how they're angry at YouTube. They're angry at edgy jokes, Count Dankula, but they don't care about television. They're angry at this video game, but they don't care about every movie ever, which has a depiction of journalists getting assassinated. They don't. They just don't care. So why? Well, here's my opinion. One, this career, this job attracts sociopaths. It's a path to power. He who controls the present, controls the past, controls the future. So you can put out whatever you want and manipulate people's perspective based on subjective information and misleading information or things like this. We made a video game years ago, and it just so happens that one of the missions follows a typical trope of a journalist who is tr- tr- uh, troublesome for a, for a powerful corporation, and the assassinists take him out. It's a trope. It's a common, it's in movies. It's in tons of movies. Well, the sociopaths over at Huffington Post won't stand for it. So they got it taken down. Congratulations. And that's what they do. They get video games shut down. They get people banned. And they do it in one direction. They want to control the present, but it's more just about being bullies. They're, they're, they're bullies. And the only, the, look, I'm going to say this. The bullies aren't going to stop. When you bend the knee and you prove them right, you think they're going to stop doing it. No, they're going to keep doing it. And that's why they don't like people like me. That's why they don't like people like Carl Benjamin. That's why they don't like Dankula. 
Carl refuses to apologize. So what do these journalists do? They lie, 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 lie. It's all lies all day. It's mind blowing, mind blowing. CNN is complete trash. Lies, just just lie after lie after lie. And they'll sit there and go, oh, I can't believe the anti-media rhetoric. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Well, when you have Jim Acosta openly lying and, and they and they and they play this ridiculous game of semantics to try and justify how it's not really a lie, but they're misinforming you. They're trying to, 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 to trick you for personal gain, for personal power. They target alternative voices. They complain all day and night about Alex Jones, but I don't see them going after ancient aliens. And I know it's funny because I brought it up several times, but it's true. You want to complain about Alex Jones talking about interdimensional aliens and cell towers and mutant animal hybrids, but you don't care that for years and even to this day, there is a show on TV that willfully lies about history and what we know about the past for entertainment. I, I think Ancient Aliens is hilarious. By all means, keep it on the TV. It's it's total BS. We like they they willfully bring they, they purposefully bring on people who don't know what they're talking about to make it sound entertaining. Nobody cares. These people are sociopathic, evil scumbags. Let me ask, you know, CNN, as they complain all day and night about fake news, when they're going to go after satire and ancient aliens and other shows like Ghost Hunters and other shows that willfully misrepresent facts for entertainment, because then they would have to go after themselves. I'll leave it there. I, this, this is this is a subject that gets me really angry, you know. Um, I'm sure there's, there's probably a bunch of other stories that would have been much more, um, I don't know, important. But when I saw this story from Huffington Post, I was just like, the nerve of these people to go after this small game developer over a game from what, like 2016, because of one level, truly shows the depravity of these individuals, how they want power. How dare you? How dare you make a video game about journalists getting hurt? And that's what they do. That's what they do. And, you know, side note, breaking into people's homes, allegedly. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm uh, much lighter on this A-chan story is because we don't really know what happened yet. It's an allegation, but I definitely wanted to highlight it. Um, there wasn't really enough here for me to go into a longer in-depth story on what's going on with A-chan, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned it. So I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around. More segments to come. For those on YouTube, it'll be up at uh, uh, about 1, 1 p.m. For those that are listening on the podcast, give me a good review if you like these segments, because apparently that really helps if you like review and say, hey, Tim's great. Um, Everyone else, thanks for hanging out and uh, or for everybody. I will see you in the next segment. As CNN slowly fades into obscurity as their viewership collapses and their relevance evaporates, they become increasingly desperate. I saw this tweet just uh, uh, earlier today from John Levine. He says, um, is Anderson okay? And for those that are listening, you're not going to be able to see this, but what we're looking at is it's Janine Pirro giving her opening statement while Anderson Cooper is making very, very weird faces. Like, I I don't even know how to describe it. He just keeps having these weird faces shifting. He's not saying anything. Now, look, this is part of a segment called The Ridiculist, where Anderson Cooper does talk about rather silly things. It's a bit snarky. But this is one of the weirdest things I've seen in a long time because he's not actually pointing anything out. He's just criticizing the opening statement of Fox News by making weird faces. It's very strange. CNN seems to be on an anti-Fox News bender or tirade. Oliver Darcy went after InfoWars. CNN just went nuts on InfoWars. InfoWars gets banned. Well, now they're doing the same thing to Fox News. But here's the thing. 
CNN is almost entirely irrelevant at this point. Their viewership is gone. Their viewership is less than half of mine. Seriously, some dude on YouTube, me, who talks to the camera to you, has more viewers than CNN does per per hour segment. So I've got this story. Uh, Anderson Cooper mercil- mercilessly mocks Trump and mimics Islamophobe in arms Janine Pira. Before we jump into a bunch of these examples, check out TimCast.com slash donate if you want to support my work. There's a monthly donation option. There is a cryptocurrency option, a physical address. But of course, just share the video wherever you'd like or click the like button and comment or do all of them because that boosts it in the algorithm. It tells YouTube that it's like a good video. That was a reason why I do this call out, why I say support me. CNN relies on advertisements for their revenue. I somewhat do, right? When views go down, ad revenue goes down. It sucks. But CNN doesn't have a subscription model, so they need their views. So as CNN slowly drifts into oblivion, they're desperately trying to rack their views back up. And that means you're going to see Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter start attacking Fox News relentlessly so that I talk about it and gives them more play. You're going to see Anderson Cooper doing these really weird faces that like just to make fun of Fox News. It's very strange. In fact, uh, so I have, I have the ratings pulled up, but what I want to, I, want, I want to pull up this. Uh, oh, what did I just? There we go. Here's the story. This is a video from CNN where Oliver Darcy said it's naive of Pete Buttigieg to go on Fox News. Well, Bernie Sanders did it. Tulsi Gabbard did it. Andrew Yang did it. Yang went on uh, a Sunday special with Ben Shapiro. No, it's not naive. It's called good faith. But here we have a segment. Should 2020 Democrats appear on Fox News? The answer is yes. Fox News is the biggest cable channel, period. Why is CNN desperately trying to come after Fox News? Well, because they're fizzling into obscurity. CNN is the airport news network. They're the news network of of hotel lobbies. Check this out. Sunday, May 19th. I love doing this, by the way, because CNN, you know, uh, like I, 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 I don't know how to describe my personal feelings towards someone like Oliver Darcy, because I've known him for a while. We've talked, but I do feel that he's a bit duplicitous and he's a bad faith actor. In that segment I showed you, they act like censorship is fake. They say it's just uh, Trump is just trying to pretend like censorship is a real thing to rally up his base. And it's like, uh, they, can you, you want to talk about me? No, he talks about Gateway Pundit and other more like conservative, other conservative blogs that are considered less credible so that he can easily straw man the argument and shoot it down. But dare he, but he, he, he will not dare bring up Tim Poole, who has the, the research, has the news stories and the citations. For one, Gizmodo reported employees at Facebook said they censor conservatives, okay? Jack Dorsey said, conservative employees of the company are scared to express their opinions. Tim Cook just came out recently and said, we we will not allow bias against conservatives in the the workplace. Jack Dorsey said, perhaps we were too aggressive policing the learn to code meme. Quillette published a study looking at 20, I believe it was 22 high profiles acts of censorship, 21 fell on one side of the political debate. But Oliver Darcy won't bring up Tim Poole, who actually has done the research. He'll mention Gateway Pundit so he can push a narrative because it was only a couple of years ago Oliver Darcy himself interviewed me because I said I am concerned about the censorship of the alt-right. I certainly don't like them or their ideas and would like to argue against them and prove them wrong. But when you censor them, you hide their insanity. Let people see what they think. Take a look at this uh, uh, at the screen for those that are watching. For those that are listening, let me let me tell you what we're looking at because oh boy, is this fun! This is the TV Newser scoreboard from Adweek. 
We are looking at Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC ratings. It, the, the numbers are times 1,000. And guess what? This is live plus SD. So SD, my, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. My understanding is that um, SD is like more on-demand views. I could be wrong. Replays or recordings. But maybe I'm wrong. At, at any rate, <laughs> check this out. <coughs> Excuse me. Nine, I'm going to pick 9 p.m. Nine, 9 and 10 p.m. Very, very big numbers, right? CNN's key demographic viewership at 9 p.m. on Sunday was 89,000, and MSNBC's was 64,000. God, God, uh, God damn, MSNBC is trash. 89,000 in the key demo. You know what that means? 25 to 54, age, age 29 to 54. They, they, they can't even break 100,000 views. My, 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 my God. My videos average 160,000 views, and 80% of my viewers are in that key demo. You watching are probably someone between the ages of 25 and 54. Wow, we are just absolutely trashing. And here's what's crazy. I'm actually beating Fox News in the key demo as well, but not in the older age bracket. And this is where it gets interesting. Let's scroll down and take a look at primetime total viewers. CNN's primetime average was 379,000. Wow, that's miserable. CNN's total day average was 456,000. Wow, is that miserable. Now, now Fox News broke a million total day average with a 1.2 in the primetime, meaning their primetime average actually goes up over a million. Now, here's the thing. These are averages. So naturally, their unique viewership will be somewhat higher than a million. They'll probably have a couple million throughout the day because not everyone is watching at the same time. But take a look at this. CNN's Van Jones, 321,000 at 9 p.m. So here's what I want to do. They're different metrics. They're different standards between um, how the internet works and how uh, cable TV works. But my my videos average about 160,000 unique viewers. And there is an overlap between all. So not everybody watches uh, every video. It's a, it's about four to eight on average, which means I'm probably, if I was going to be fair in terms of unique viewership, probably around half a million. So check this out. This is the channel you're looking at now, Timcast. Timcast is a series of videos pertaining to particular news stories, much more opinionated, much more meant to be just kind of like me off the cuff. In the past 30 days, viewership is down. Uh, it's down for, for, for most people as we enter the summer months, but I'm at 21.8 million, down from last month, I think, was 20, 27 million. So that's kind of a bummer. But check this out. Here's my Sunday ratings, 958,421. But wait, there's more. I have two channels dedicated to my, my, me as an individual. On my Tim Pool channel, my ratings for Sunday were 201,000 views. So it's not the same metric. It's not entirely fair to compare them one to one. But I have a total of, a, of around uh, 1,150,000 views for the whole day. Considering there's some repeat viewers, which could be true for CNN as well, I would reduce mine down to maybe like six or 700,000. I don't know necessarily how to be fair, but because there's, you know, uh, some, not everybody watches every video and not every video is getting a million views, for an hour's worth of content, my viewership is higher, or at least let's say this, let's, let's, let's bring it down way low and say, if we wanted to say my viewership was actually way less, I'm still rivaling CNN. But in fact, in the key demo, almost all of my viewers are in the key demographic. Almost all, it's around 80% are between 18 and 54. And so they're only including 25 to 54 where the bulk of my viewers actually are. So 
18 to 50, uh, 18 to I think uh, 24 is my third largest demographic. There's like actually 12 to 17 year olds who watch my videos for some reason. Man, you guys, you guys are getting a head start in politics. So here's the thing. I, I, I'm not doing this to gloat necessarily, right? But uh, take this into consideration. Why is it that CNN targets alternative media? They're targeting very heavily, uh, you know, Fox News right now. Why is it that these journalists target people like me? Well, I can show you straight up the ratings. Nearly 1 million views in a single day. Now, for a period last month, I was getting 1.1 million on this channel alone, averaging around 1.3 to 1.4 million per day total views on my, between these two YouTube channels. And this doesn't include the Subverse channel, which you should definitely go and subscribe to if you haven't already, youtube.com slash Subverse videos. We will be creating a podcast based on the Subverse news reporting. But I host some of these videos, like maybe like 60 or 70% because we do a lot of on the ground reporting. I'm not even including those numbers in the daily count. And that's, and so here's the thing. The point of this video, CNN is becoming increasingly desperate as their viewership is trash. This is, this is, this is really, really fascinating to me. The key demographic is where you sell ads. It's how you make money. And, you know, so, uh, uh, WK Bell, uh, Kamwe Bell, I think his name is, sorry if I'm getting your name wrong. Uh, 127,000 in the key demographic. I am absolutely obliterating that. One video I make yesterday got like 250,000 views with 80% of those viewers in the key demo. Absolutely obliterating CNN's numbers in prime time. Why would anyone take CNN seriously at this point? How how would they have money? It's amazing that they still exist, considering. So here's what's going to happen. They're going to come after people like me. And you know, and here's what I love. I have consistently done, uh, I have tried to do my best in reporting and even opinion segments. I avoid certain blogs. Like, you know, Oliver Darcy talks about Gateway Pundit and these things. I've cited them on some rare occasions, but I typically do not use them unless there's uh, extenuating circumstances, something very important, maybe an exclusive that I can personally verify. For the most part, I don't. I, I go by what NewsGuard's ratings are, and a lot of conservatives don't like NewsGuard. And that's why he doesn't bring me up in his segment. That's why when he talks about censorship, he doesn't mention that I went on the Joe Rogan podcast and had a lot of anecdotes, but I also cited several stories, as well as got Jack to admit their rules are biased. Plain and simple. They know their rules are biased, and their response to me was, well, we, we hear you. Thank you for your feedback. They had no argument. They said, okay. And Jack said, perhaps we we're too aggressive. We've seen it over and over again. Twitter employees, Facebook employees, Google employees expressing their bias. We've seen the president come out against it. And then CNN lies, but then claims it's everyone else who's lying. But, but dare he not bring up me because he knows I've got my facts straight and I've got more than enough data to back it up. If you want to claim that, you know, I don't know, Diamond and Sill, Candace Owens, these individuals are just anecdotes. They're anecdotes. They're individual instances. They don't account for all of the censorship. Sure. And let me talk about Gizmodo's publication. Are you going to call them a liar? Let's talk about Recode. Are you going to call them a liar? No, these are legitimate verified news sources on the left saying this is happening. Of course, many of these other writers don't want to admit it. They walk it back. But the reality is it happens. We know it happens. And we have the stories and the citations to back it up. Now, it's true. It's possible Gizmodo and Vox are liars. That wouldn't surprise me. But if they're coming out saying Facebook employees are saying they suppress conservative news, I'm going to have to go ahead and believe them. They have no reason to lie. But of course, CNN does. CNN has a big reason to lie. Their ratings are in the dumpster and they just bought out 100 employees. And as everyone knows, 
a buyout is a layoff with a smile. And usually when a buyout happens, layoffs are not far uh, from happening. So CNN is not, it's not looking too pretty. I also have some inside information on CNN because I have sources. I do journalism. Granted, you're what, you know, most of the stuff I produce is just more of my opinion column stuff as of, as of the past like eight months or so when I started this channel. But Subverse is kicking up. We're expanding. We're hiring. We're, we're about to, we're about to uh, sign a deal on a space. We're going to have an office. And if you go to Subverse, you see it's all just straight news. And a lot of compliments for, about that, so I really appreciate it. But here's the thing. Well, uh, you know what? No, no. Okay. I'm just, I'm just going to start repeating myself, and I don't want to do that. CNN is falling down the tubes. Too bad. It's too bad, isn't it? So I'll leave it there. I'm not trying to be too much of a dick. I only have uh, uh, indignation towards uh, CNN because they lie. And I think the reason for it is they're grasping at straws. They're struggling to stay afloat. So you'll end up seeing this weird video of Anderson Cooper making weird faces. And this kind of, it makes me sad because Anderson Cooper has a long and storied career covering things, you know, internationally and doing a good job of it. But now it's just gotten weird. CNN, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the dream is over once the, the great... You know, they were the bringer of 24-hour news, and now they're the 89,000 in the key demo at 9 p.m. Wow. Who's buying ads on CNN? Anyway, I got an, I got, my next video will be coming up at 4 p.m. on my channel, youtube.com slash TimCast. That is the Tim Pool channel. is a different channel from this one. Uh, for those that are listening on the podcast, that will be the last segment. But stick around. More news to come, and I will see you shortly. Did you know that Los Angeles is considered the homeless capital of the developed world? Certainly, there are places around the world with more homeless people, but for a developed nation, especially the U.S., Los Angeles. Why is it California has so many problems? Why is it that in San Francisco, they literally have a street poop problem where they're talking about developing a poop patrol? I know it sounds silly, but I'm being serious. California has such an insane homelessness problem. Why, though? They're a blue state. Shouldn't they be doing something to help these people? Well, now there's concerns, growing concerns, of medieval diseases, typhoid outbreaks, and now this from NBC News. Rotting trash piles sky high in LA, attracting rats and raising concerns of a new epidemic. Before we get into all this, I'm going to pop over to TimCast.com slash donate, where you can go if you'd like to support my work. There's a monthly donation option, cryptocurrency wallets, physical address, but of course, just share this video, click the like button and comment because that does a lot. It tells YouTube that my videos are actually worth watching and then more people watch. And that's, you know, that's pretty good, right? So here's the story. They say after reporting, reporting a LA's most notorious trash pile to the city's 311 service hotline, the I team was told it could take up to 90 days before it's cleaned up. An expert says there's no time to waste. Rat-infested piles of rotting garbage left uncollected by the city of L.A., even after promises to clean it up, are fueling concerns about a new epidemic after last year's record number of flea-borne typhus cases. Why does Los Angeles have a typhus outbreak? What is this? Even the city's most notorious trash pile located between downtown L.A.'s busy fashion and produce districts continues to be a magnet for rats after it was cleaned up months ago. The rodents can carry typhus-infected fleas, which can spread the disease to humans through bacteria rubbed into the eyes or cuts and scrapes in the skin, resulting in severe flu-like symptoms. The NBC4 I-Team first told Mayor Eric Garcetti's office about the piles of filth in the 700 block of Saris Avenue in October, 
At the time, he promised to make sure that trash doesn't pile up like that. And there's, a, there's actually a photo up here uh, of what appears to be... Oh, it's a video, I guess, of some kind of massive trash pile. The garbage was cleaned up after the interview, but conditions have worsened over the next seven months. Let's talk about accountability journalism. You see, this is when journalists know if they reach out, something will be done. Of course, people can't do anything unless they know about the problem. So the journalist here says, hey, man, this garbage, it's a serious problem. Let's ask a city why they're not doing something about it. And the city goes and, you know, eventually gets rid of it. But think about what, you know, like BuzzFeed does. They complain about YouTubers and then YouTube bans people. But anyway, I don't want to get into all that. That's the next video. I can't walk down the street without thinking that a flea could jump on me, said Estella Lopez, who represents business owners in the area. After reporting the pile of waste to the city's 311 service hotline, the I-team was told it could take 90 days. You told us that already. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Jeffrey Klausner of UCLA said there's no time to waste. Trash and food waste attracts rats, said Klausner. It does pose a public health risk. An out-of-control rat population can even lead to the spread of dangerous strains of salmonella and bubonic plague. (laughs) You mean to tell me, Los Angeles, this great bastion of of civil service, uh, of social policy, is facing a potential... I don't know what he's, what he's trying to get at, but he's saying bubonic plague in Los Angeles. Well, fortunately, we have the CDC, but look, it's a fact that Los Angeles is a homeless haven, and the city isn't doing enough to actually solve these problems. Other large U.S. cities like New York and Washington, D.C. have teams devoted to aggressive rat control. In the nation's capital, they're experimenting with bait stations laced with a rat contraceptive. That's kind of, that's kind of weird, but sounds effective. Notice... New York and D.C. are also blue. So what's up with that? Um, I don't necessarily think it's a reflection of failed liberal policy. Uh, I think a lot of people might want to jump on that because it's a good tool against your political rival if you're a conservative. Now, I think it has to do with extremely densely populated areas combined with some failed liberal policy. I don't think it's fair to just say liberal policy didn't work, period. And it's fair to point out, for one, in California, the weather is amazing. This attracts homeless people. They move there on purpose. So it's very difficult for L.A. and, and California to deal with the massive influx of those who want the beautiful weather. It's, it's, it's also a combination of the fact that, that apparently they don't clean it up after 90 days. They say, in Los Angeles, the I-team learned there is no plan or program to control the growing rat population that feasts at trash piles like the ones on Saris Avenue. It's something that we'll look into, said Pepe Garcia of Los Angeles's Bureau of Sanitation. Rats carrying typhus-infected fleas were found around L.A. last fall, according to county health department records obtained by the I-team. The agency did not provide details about where the fleas were found, saying that information would cause confusion and unnecessary alarm. But the I-team discovered that typhus-infected fleas were found on animals waiting to be adopted at the North Central Animal Shelter. Between 2013 and 2017, county residents reported a yearly average of nearly 60 cases. That's twice as many the number reported in the previous five years. Last year, a record 124 cases were reported in L.A. County. Symptoms of flea-borne typhus, which can start within two weeks after infection, include high fever, headache, chills, and body aches. Rashes can appear on the chest, back, arms, and legs. Fatalities occur in less than 1% of cases. The I-team asked the Department of Public Health what became of the shelter animals carrying fleas that tested positive for typhus. We're still waiting to hear back. Well, I certainly wonder as well. But here's the thing. I decided to look into this. For those that don't know, San Francisco has a poop problem. I brought it up earlier in this in this segment, but it, but it really does. Why? I 
don't know, but people in San Francisco just like to poop on the street. Kind of weird considering how wealthy San Francisco is. You got to clean up your house. What, what does Jordan, Te- Jordan Peterson say? Clean up your room before you try and clean up the world or something like that. So I did some digging. Not really much. I was just Googling, you know, these diseases. And I found a couple interesting stories. WebMD actually brings up the California typhus outbreak continues to grow from last year. Public health officials in, in Los Angeles are working to control an outbreak of typhus, a bacterial disease spread by infected fleas in the downtown area and elsewhere in the sprawling county. Okay, listen, I understand that a lot of people, homeless people, move to L.A. on purpose, but that should be factored into what L.A. does. How is it that the homeless capital of the developed world doesn't have a team dedicated to cleaning up, the, you know, dealing with the rat population? How is it that New York and D.C. do? But we also have this story. This is from KHN. Medieval diseases flare as unsanitary living conditions proliferate. Now, this one isn't just about California, but what was really interesting about this, they talk about Washington State. And I find it really interesting. Now, Washington State also has some pretty good weather. It doesn't get super cold, but it does kind of cold. Why is it that these Western states have this problem? What is it with people wanting to you know, move to these cities, sleep on the streets, and in their own filth? And they, the, the, this story, I don't want to get into too much, but it does, this is it's California, once again. California is a disease-ridden homeless haven. So I, I don't know what California's doing. Let's read a little bit. So, so I'll, I'll, I'm not going to go into too much on the, the California typhus story from, w, uh, from WebMD because we already did go over this in the main story. It talked about the history and what was going on last year. But let's talk about the rise of medieval diseases, which is how, wh- how? Jennifer Miller keeps trash bags and hand sanitizer near her tent and she regularly regularly pours water mixed with hydrogen peroxide on the sidewalk nearby, keeping herself and the patch of concrete she calls home clean is a top priority. But this homeless encampment off a Hollywood freeway ramp is often littered with needles and trash and soaked in urine. Rats occasionally scamper through, and Miller fears the consequences. I worry about all those diseases, said Miller, 43, who said she has been homeless most of her life. Infectious diseases, some that ravaged populations in the Middle Ages, are resurging in California and around the country, and are hitting homeless populations especially hard. Los Angeles recently experienced an outbreak of typhus, a disease spread by infected fleas. We read all this part. People in Washington state have been infected with the Shigella bacteria, which is spread through feces and causes the dioma. I, I don't even want to read this. This is gross stuff, man. I just want to ask how this is happening. And, you know, for those that live in like the suburbs and in kind of rural areas, I think you're uh, not experiencing this problem. Why is that? For one, as I mentioned earlier, you've got this proximity issue. Everyone's, you know, living really crammed together and there's a ton of trash that has to be moved. But I think we have to, we have to admit when there are feces on your streets and all over the place, California, that's a cultural problem. Okay. Like why is it that people feel the need to defecate in the street? That's not an issue of like, that's, that's an issue of people choosing to do that. Now, it could be that a lot of homeless people who have nowhere else to go. But look, they're talking about Washington State and feces, right? Well, Washington State has public bathrooms. They have on the street. Excuse me. There's actually, I don't know. I think this might be Seattle, but they like go underground. It's like really cool. And you like press a button and it like rises from the street. They're talking about hepatitis A. Um, look, there's been a lot of stories about stuff like this, and it's just it's, it's just ne- never ending, I guess. Now, admittedly, for the you know, 13 plus million people in L.A. County, there were 124 cases. So I do, I do think it's important to point out like the scale of the issue. 
And while there may be more cases of typhoid than before, it's actually a really, really small number considering how many people are in California. But uh, I guess the main point of the video, which we'll wrap up on, is that California's got serious trash problems that New York and D.C. don't have, and they're also blue, you know, heavily dense populated areas. Why is that, California? Why can't you get your act together? I don't know. You comment. Let me know what you think if you're watching. If you're checking us on the podcast, just leave a review or something and stick around. I've got a couple more segments coming up, and I will see you shortly. In what may be not surprising to anybody, unless you don't pay attention to, I don't know, alternative news sources and you just sit around watching CNN all day, it's not surprising to hear the New York Times has substantially rewritten a scoop about Trump's EPA and does not issue a correction. But this is what they do. They've done it before. They'll do it again. And I've called them out many times for it. This is called stealth editing. Stealth editing is when you quietly change an article to issue a correction without actually telling your audience. So, you know, this, this would fly in the face, I'd imagine, of a fact-checking or, or a news rating service like NewsGuard when these companies do this consistently. But for some reason, the New York Times, hey, A-OK, right? They're allowed to do it. So I also want to talk about in the segment how the culture war, social justice, this weird, uh, regressive, racist ideology is becoming pervasive. So we're going to talk about why journalists think they have a right to lie. And before we get into all that, check out TimCast.com slash donate if you want to support my work. There is a monthly donation option through PayPal, cryptocurrency addresses, a physical address. But of course, just share the video, click the like button and comment. That is the best you can do. If you're watch, if you're listening on the podcast, leave a review and give me, give me those sweet five stars. Unless you hate me, then by all means, just don't like the video or whatever. But, but you know. So here's the story from the Daily Caller. They say, the New York Times made substantial changes to an article claiming the Environmental Protection Agency will use new modeling that minimizes projected deaths from air pollution. The scoop, based on anonymous sources, there we go, initially reported new pollution modeling would be used to justify the Trump administration's affordable clean energy rule, which is set to replace the Obama-era clean power plan aimed at fighting climate change. The Times, however, did not issue a correction as of Tuesday morning, despite making substantial edits to the initial story. A top EPA official told the Times the cost-benefit analysis for ACE would include multiple methodologies for assessing public health impacts, not just one new model. Republicans and conservative activists have long argued EPA in the past misused pollution modeling to justify further government intervention. In particular, EPA critics argue the agency's inclusion of co-benefits from reducing small particulate matter, levels of which already meet agency air qualification standards, in its regulatory analysis overstates public health benefits of cutting emissions. EPA issued a statement to reporters countering the New York Times' initial reporting. To be clear, there is no new methodology re- related to particulate matter included in the cost-benefit analysis accompanying the final affordable clean energy rule, said EPA spokesman James Hewitt. EPA sets na- na- national ambient air quality standards at a level that protects public health with a margin of safety. Hewitt said, a longstanding and important question is how much benefit is derived by further reducing ambient levels below the national standards. Past reports indicate EPA has been working to clamp down on the use of co-benefits for, as least, for, for, uh, for at least the last year or so. EPA has pushed using public scientific data and revising the so-called social cost of carbon. Pardon me, I have allergies. Citing five anonymous current and former EPA officials, The Times reported Monday that EPA will adopt a new method of projecting the future risks of health pollution, etc., etc. The modeling change was unusual 
because it discards more than a decade of peer-reviewed EPA methods and relies on unfounded medical assumptions, the Times initially reported. So here's what happens. The New York Times, using an anonymous source, lies. Okay, that's unfair. Reports fake news. Is it fake news? Yes. Your anonymous source is not credible. Why should I trust that your anonymous source is credible if I don't know who it is? They then publish false information, get corrected by the EPA, and then quietly change it without telling anyone. Welcome to the media. This is how they operate. They are, they're, they're stealthy, skeevy, scandalous individuals. This is what they do. When they get it wrong, they don't want you to know. They only, they only change stories of the correction if they absolutely have to. It's story time, okay? Actually, let's wrap up on this, and then I'll bring you to story time. The Times report set off alarm bells among environmental activists who oppose any changes to how EPA cost-benefit analysis, uh, to, to any changes to EPA cost-benefit analysis. Late Monday, however, the Times added the Wayrooms aides, what is this? Later said the matter had not been settled. Asked on Monday whether the new method would be included in the agency's final analysis of the rule, William L. Wareham, the EPA air quality chief, said only that the final version would include multiple analytical, analytical approaches in an effort to be transparent. He said the agency had made no formal changes to his methodology. Hmm. Why then would they, uh, would they do that? Times reporter Lisa Friedman did not immediately respond to the Daily Caller News Foundation's request for comment. Story time, everybody, because I've worked for some of these companies. Ellen Powell, she, is, she was once the CEO of Reddit. She is a regressive racist intersectionalist. She, uh, she became CEO of Reddit, started implementing changes, and eventually there was a huge backlash. Reddit users were like, no way, get her out. Ellen Powell, you know, is bad. So she eventually resigned. The New York Times wrote a story. The story was essentially Ellen Powell, CEO of Reddit, resigns in a letter saying X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C. Very, very short. Only like a hundred or so words. It was the news. It was the facts. The story reached the top number three and number five all-time highest voted stories on Reddit at the time. This is this about three, or three and a half years ago, maybe four years ago. Overnight, the author of the piece, a New York Times reporter, changed the story into an opinion piece about sexism in Silicon Valley. I thought this was an egregious violation of trust. Whoa, 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 whoa. Reddit now had number three, number five, all-time highest upvoted stories now becoming far-left propaganda about sexism in, in Silicon Valley? That's not okay. People who shared and upvoted this did not want to share and upvote your opinion piece. Well, sure enough, the moderators of these, uh, it was news and technology, I believe, deleted the posts for violating their rules on altering articles and using misleading headlines. Why? The initial article's headline was something like CEO of Reddit resigns. The new headline was Silicon Valley 2, Ellen uh, Ellen Powell 0, how women are being, you know, how sexism, blah, blah, in Silicon Valley. Imagine this. This is why I say this is really important. Actually, hold on. I'll, I'll get to the importance of it. I was at Fusion at the time, and I was talking in Slack to other people. I said, this is huge. You know, New York Times, the paper of record getting caught. Scandal. And I was told by someone who now works for the New York Times not to call them out. Actually, I'll just say it. Kevin Roos, who now works for the New York Times, told me not to report on the story because Fusion did the same thing. Surprise, surprise. Guess who got a job with the New York Times? The person who refused to call them out on their BS. There you go. You play ball, you get rewarded. Here's the thing. 
Imagine you saw a story. Okay, this is this, this is what I tell people on the left. Right? This is a big deal. Imagine you saw a story and it said something like pregnant woman killed in San Diego, and that was it. And it said like the woman was found dead, blah blah blah. And you're like, whoa, that's crazy. Like San Diego, wow. So you share it on Facebook, you share it on Twitter, you post it to Reddit. Overnight, the author change it, changes it to something about evil and vile, you know, migrants doing woo, you know, horrible, horrible things, and they make it an opinion piece supporting a far-right narrative using the same context, someone was murdered, and they go on to put all their opinion about how they hate immigration or whatever. Now people see that you shared that story, and they start commenting saying, whoa, why did you share this? And you say, what do you mean? It was just a story. It was a simple news piece, but it was changed into some fringe opinion. That's going to reflect on you. That is a violation of the trust of the reader. And they did it. Well, I'm only going to talk lightly about what's happening in media. This is Neiman Lab. Neiman Lab is supposed to be, you know, like it's, it's, the fa- it's a news foundation at Harvard. And what you're seeing right now on the screen, for those that are listening, you can't see, it is the equality equity photograph that is a fake bit of insane regressive dogma. It depicts three people watching a baseball game. There's a fence in front of them. Equality side shows three boxes and they're all standing on them. To the right, you see equity, the new thing that they've been pushing, the, the racial dogmatists. In it, you can see the t- there's a tall man, a medium-sized man, and a short man. They give two boxes to the short man so they can all see evenly. This is, this is sort of like a religious propaganda. It tells you nothing. It explains nothing. It tries to play up to a straw man argument, essentially, to say this is why equity is good. But let's stop and take a look at what, the act, what they're actually implementing here. This, this, this graphic, this idea, they believe that they can actually quantify equality. Okay, change the three individuals to different races. Now try and figure out who's more oppressed. Well, of course, the, the racist dogma, dogmatic, you know, religious zealots will tell you white privilege, but you can't actually determine someone's background based on the color of their skin. This is a simplified graphic as, as propaganda to convince you of an ideology without actually arguing anything. The reason why it's significant is that this article from Neiman Lab says the power of journalism collaboration is also the power of inclusion. Here's how to harness it. The culture war spares no industry. It spares no soul. Journalism was likely the first to be infected with intersectional dogma. That is overtly racist individuals, bigoted, and in my opinion, very evil people. Now, most of them are just dumb. Okay. And I could say the same to any other religious zealot. I grew up very, very, you know, anti-censorship, very pro-liberty. And they were religious folk who didn't like certain, certain, you know, things. I was, uh, you know, there was like the morality police, the music crisis, the video game crisis. It wasn't unique just to the right, but we did have, uh, you know, the, the many people who were Christian pushing their morality and that wasn't okay. Now we have the dogma and religion on the left and it's infecting everything. Surprise, surprise. Journalism is now propagating this. I'm not surprised. These people are insane. And in my opinion, most of them are evil. Many of them are just dumb. And it's kind of like the banality of evil. They don't realize how they're super racist and violent and support violent and awful, awful people, but they do. And I really, really don't like them. It's complicated, but it is what it is. Anyway, ultimately, the point I want to bring up is two things. New York Times, uh, unsurprisingly, doesn't issue corrections. And we know this. Why, why, you know, and this is why people don't trust the media. They're liars. They cheat. They steal. It's what they do. In my personal experience, one guy who tried to defend the practice got a job with the New York, with the, with the New York Times. There you go. The corruption gets rewarded. But the reason they do it ultimately is that they feel they are the arbiters of morality. 
And that's what I was trying to show with the Neiman Lab article. They believe they bring truth, not just truth, though, moral truth, because they don't believe in, in actual truth. They believe they don't believe in objective journalism. They have infiltrated news, and now news is being wiped out by these insane moral zealots, which is why I'm working on setting up Subverse with many good journalists who are doing a good job and who I respect, and uh, things are going well. So, hey, subscribe to Subverse if you haven't already. It's just a, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll plug Subverse whenever I can. But uh, I'll wrap up here. I've got one more segment coming up in just a, a, a couple minutes for those watching on YouTube. Everyone else stay tuned, and I will see you shortly. The next segment from BuzzFeed News. More than 52,000 people are now being detained by ICE, an apparent all-time high. Interesting. It's really really interesting. An all-time high? A record. We've never had this many people detained by ICE? You mean we've, we've, we've got more people apprehended, more families, so far this year in five months than all of last year? And they're saying on BuzzFeed... This, uh, they have a statement from an ICE official. This is an this is an avoidable humanitarian crisis manufactured by the Trump administration's harsh policies. A former senior ICE official said, "Oh, it's a manufactured crisis that all of these people are trying to come to the border now, and we have these massive caravans that weren't coming before. Who's manufacturing it? I'm going to point. I don't care if you're with ICE. I don't care if you're with BuzzFeed. You are a conspiracy theorist if you believe." There are organizations orchestrating the migrant caravans to come here specifically to help Trump because Trump is manufacturing it or something like that. What's your what's what's the idea? Like, seriously, we know there are nonprofits helping the migrants in all likelihood. It's just because they help migrants. Seriously, they're probably nonprofits that say, hey, whenever migrants go, we try to make sure they're safe. All of a sudden, there's a massive influx, probably due to the press, you know, if you're asking me. But now we're hearing it's a manufactured crisis. Well, who manufactured it? They claim Trump manufactured it. They, so, so let me ask you this. Do you really believe that Trump is funding or the Republicans are funding groups to encourage migrant caravans to form? Because to me, that's insane. So who's doing it? How is this manufactured? If massive migrant caravans keep coming to the U.S. and Trump says, OK, we've got to you know, upgrade ICE, you know, bring more people in. How is he manufacturing that simply by enforcing the rules? So before we go any further, I'm going to stop and say, Check out TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work and hear me rant about more things like this when I get kind of frustrated. There's a monthly donation option. Again, TimCast.com slash donate. Cryptocurrency. Uh, there's a physical address. But of course, just share the video, click the like button and comment because that tells YouTube the video is good, apparently. So here's the thing. I have this from uh, the LA Times, an opinion piece. Dear Democrats, illegal immigration is not a manufactured crisis. The story says Democrats and progressives alike have been calling illegal immigration so-called manufactured process. You mean crisis? This is in response to the Trump's often explosive tweets regarding illegal immigration and the need for the wall. The Democrats have every right to disagree with the president regarding border security, such as the construction of a wall on the southern border or the Obama administration procedure of separating children from their parents at the border or the laws in place. However, to say that this is a manufactured crisis is not only factually incorrect, but also deceiving the public. Nancy Pelosi, who is currently Speaker of the House, stated in response to President Trump's Oval Office address regarding the shutdown, this was a manufactured crisis, according to The Atlantic. However, looking at the facts, Pelosi is far from the truth. According to LA Times, in the month of February, there were 66,450 migrants arrested crossing the southwestern border, a rate of more than 2,300 per day, And it was more than almost any month in the last decade. 
According to Axios, U.S. Customs and Border Protection encountered 103,492 migrants attempting to cross the border illegally in March. According to the data from the Department of Homeland Security, illegal immigration apprehension has increased to record highs. And there is a problem at the southern border. So for those that are listening, you can't see this graph we have pulled up, but I'll explain it to you. We have what, what appears to be uh, for year 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Check this out. In, 20, in October of, uh, is this correct for 19? Uh, no, this is incorrect. What are, they, what are they saying with FY19? Yeah, okay. I don't understand. Oh, okay, year to date? Anyway, the graph is kind of, uh, conf- oh, okay, that's 2018. Sorry. So this is uh, October 2018 was 60,000. In March of this year, you can see a massive spike. It averages for every year around 50, 60,000 into summer months when things get warmer, right? Well, for March, all of the other years was, we had 57, 39, 46, 16, 50, and now 103 in February, 76,000 before that 36, 23, 38, 32. There is a massive, massive increase. So you mean to tell me the migrants, the caravans, the thousands of people riding on the trains, the photos we've seen, the videos, the video of the migrants pushing through the southern Guatemala-Mexico border, manufactured, can you tell me who's manufacturing it? Or are you implying over at this BuzzFeed article, this senior ICE official who said Trump's harsh policies are making this happen? Are you saying Trump shouldn't enforce our borders? What's the solution? I really, really do not believe there is a nefarious conspiracy plot either from Trump or George Soros or anybody to encourage these people to do these things. Sure, there are probably some people doing it. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's just the dominoes are falling up, falling over. The media is talking about it. People feel like they have an opportunity to squeeze through, so they're coming. And the, the more caravans that come, the more people want to form caravans because you have strength in numbers. We've already seen migrants try and storm through the border, and they were, they were all captured. So who's manufacturing this? If it is a manufactured crisis because of Trump's policies, what's the alternative? Don't enforce the law? Just let the people come in? I'm sure, I'm sure many people on the left, would ag- on the far left, would agree with that. But, the, but, but there are a lot of people who say, the Democrats aren't in favor of open borders. Well, then how do you explain this? Tell me, seriously, tell me, what do you do? If Trump is going to apprehend these people, we're going to see a massive increase in people being detained. But then they're going to blame Trump, saying its policies are doing it. What's the alternative? Don't detain them. Just let them go. That's an open borders position. So tell me what to do, okay? Because it seems like all this is really about is just opposing Trump. Yes, sure. Go ahead and believe there's a conspiracy from the Trump administration to send, you know, t- a 10 times or way more migrants we've ever seen. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. BuzzFeed says as of Monday, ICE was holding 52,398 migrants, of which 998 are family units. An agency official told BuzzFeed News. The number represents a significant population spike from just two weeks ago when ICE was holding more than 49,000 migrants. Advocates ex- advocates expressed alarm at the latest attention figures. What the administration is doing is operating entirely outside the constraints imposed on them by Congress by jailing more and more people every week to now hit a breathtaking record, said Heidi Altman, director of policy at the National Immigrant Justice Center. The administration knows very well that this is needless cruelty and there are better alternatives that work and are cheaper and more humane. ICE has requested an increase in bed spaces as it deals with a record influx of Central American migrants crossing the border. How is it both a manufactured crisis because of Trump's policies, as well as a record influx of migrants? 
I just want solutions, man. And you know what? The Democrats aren't presenting them. They just complain. And I shouldn't say the Democrats, but for the most part, yeah, what are they saying? The wall's immoral. Don't give Trump the money he needs. We, we have, what, the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times even saying, give Trump his money. At what point does the politicking stop? At what point do the Democrats say, look, when even BuzzFeed says there's a record influx of Central American migrants, something needs to be done. Now, I don't quite understand how BuzzFeed can be of the opinion both that there's a record influx, but also a manufactured crisis. But sure, they were quoting ICE, I guess. Administration officials have repeatedly described the entire immigration system as being stretched beyond limit. Well, whose fault is that you're talking about a record influx? One ICE official said the detention numbers have a direct correlation to border crossings. Well, of course they do. This is insane. I just feel like everything's collapsing. If you can't recognize that a record influx of migrants will correlate with a record influx, uh, a record number of detentions, then you're bad at math and you need to go to, you know, go to school and understand what logic means. The population in ICE custody has quickly increased from the Obama era, a consequence of the Trump administration's decision to expand arrest priorities to include nearly every undocumented immigrant, experts have said. In the latter years of the Obama administration, the population level generally hovered around 35,000. What you're saying is Trump's saying that they should enforce the law? It's kind of weird. You know, for real. If you're going to argue that the Democrats aren't in favor of open borders, which they repeatedly say, I'm listening because I haven't haven't heard them explicitly say, you know, Bernie Sanders actually said no open borders. But if you're then going to say it was better when Obama wasn't arresting them, well, now I'm confused. Because if you have a policy not to enforce border, border control, then you're basically saying the border should be porous. Okay, fine. You're not saying open border, you're saying porous border. Okay, that's where we'll end up. From now on, let's just say the left is in favor of a porous border that allows people to come and go as they please within certain constraints. They're not going to enforce the law. So, you know, basically, basically that's the story, but let's, let's wrap up here. They say Kevin Landy, the former head of ICE's Office of Detention Policy and Planning under the Obama administration, said the immigration surge has been exacerbated by Trump's hardline policies and rhetoric. This is an avoidable humanitarian crisis manufactured by the Trump administration's harsh policies, which are driven by the president's extreme rhetoric and distorted assessments of the migrant population, he said. Sure. I think Trump does have a hardline approach, but I'm also confused because saying that Trump what, what they're saying right now is not an argument. Trump says we're going to enforce border control. Okay. What's your alternative? Trump's manufacturing a crisis. Sure. What's your alternative? Trump's immoral. Okay. Can you tell me what your plan is to deal with the record influx of migrants? You can't. Okay. Then what are we talking about? You don't like Trump? Sure. Fine. Whatever. I haven't heard a solution, man. I haven't heard them come up with like, here's how we can solve this problem. They're asking for more beds. Okay. Okay, more beds. Is that going to change the fact there's a record number of uh, migrants crossing the border? A record influx? No? Well, then what are you complaining about? This is why I can't stand politics. It's like the left has been the morality police. They're morality police on YouTube. They're the, the morality police for people on Twitter and Facebook. And the morality police for Trump when it comes to migrants. But they don't offer up any real solutions. I'm done. Thanks for hanging out. Um, I get frustrated with these stories sometimes because I'm just, I'm just waiting for a real, a real talk, you know, but, uh, more, more segments to come every day. The podcast will be up sometime after 6 PM, maybe uh, 6 30 every day, maybe seven. Uh, I will see you all on YouTube tomorrow, youtube.com slash Tim at 10 AM. Thanks for hanging out. 
If you've uh, made it this far on the podcast, leave a review. I, I really appreciate it. And I will see you all next time. Many of you probably know that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by around 3 million votes in 2016. Because of this, there have been a lot of people calling for a national popular vote coalition. Many states are signing a pact and passing these these laws at, at the state level, saying that once they get enough states that have 270 electoral votes total, they will enact their coalition and then only give their electorates to the winner of the popular vote. Donald Trump won. He's the president. A lot of people don't like that. We had Russiagate for years, and now we have the threat of the, you know, the national popular vote. The popular vote went to Clinton, but Trump won. That's another problem. It's actually not a problem. The Electoral College is actually extremely important. Today, we're going to go through what the latest news is on this plan, why it's a horrible, horrible idea for Democrats, why they're probably going to do it anyway. But let's talk about the importance of county-based voting and why the Electoral College is very, very important. Before we get into the first story, go to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a monthly donation option. There's a cryptocurrency option, a physical address. But of course, if you just share this video, click the like button or comment below. That tells YouTube the video is good and it helps tremendously. So let's get back to the news from CNN. Maine Senate passes bill giving states electoral votes to national popular vote winner. Maine's lawmakers passed a bill that would give the state's electoral votes to the presidential candidate who won the national popular vote, taking a step toward becoming the 15th state to enact enact such a law. The Maine Senate voted 19 to 16 Tuesday to join the national popular vote interstate compact, which would give all committed states electoral votes to the winning popular vote candidate should the group accrue the 270 votes necessary for a majority. One of the problems with the Democrats and many people on the left. And it's true for everybody, but something I've seen repeatedly among left-wing activists and the far left is that they don't think about what the result will actually be. They think, hey, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She should be president. Let's enact a policy that says we will, these states will only give their electorates to the, to the popular vote winner. Think about what that means. Maine. Maine is, I believe Maine went blue in, uh, yes, Maine went blue, but gave uh, uh, one electorate in 2016 to Trump. So yes, technically, in 2016, Maine would have given all of their electorate to Donald Trump, not really changing the outcome of the election. Trump still would have won. But think about what it means for these blue states that are enacting this policy. If Maine is more blue than red, the only thing this can do is guarantee your electoral votes can go to Republicans. Would we be surprised to find California voting Republican and giving 55 electorates to a Republican? We would be. California's blue, probably always going to be blue. But under this coalition, I'm not entirely sure I believe uh, California, California is, this opens the door for California to give 55 electoral votes to a Republican should they win the popular vote. This plan will not help Democrats. It will only help Republicans. But of course, We need to think several steps ahead. This idea is very simple, but it makes no sense when you actually think about what the results are going to be. You will no longer need two parties. In fact, someone could win the popular vote by, let's say, 50 people run and everybody gets, you know, a a percentage of the vote, but one person gets 7%, which is 1% more than anyone else. Well, then you have a popular vote president based on a tiny, tiny minority of the population. Now, it's possible the two party remains the way it is. If it does, this idea being enacted by Democrats at the state level will only ever guarantee 
blue states go red. Because think about it. Do you think low population red states are going to give more power to blue states? Of course not. There's a very important reason why we have an electoral college, and I'm going to go through that. But let's let's read through uh, some of these states and some of the reasons for this idea. And then we're going to talk about why the electoral college is so damn important. And it is. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington State, and the District of Columbia have all committed to the pact. The most recent addition, New Mexico, put the total at 189 electoral votes. Now, according to their plan, once they get enough states to total 270, the plan goes into effect. But of course, you've heard my thoughts, it'll only backfire. Former Maine governor Paul LePage alleged earlier this year that if such a law were to pass, white people will not have anything to say. What would happen if they do what they say they're going to do? White people will not have anything to say, he said. It's only going to be the minorities that would elect. It would be California, Texas, and Florida. Not necessarily, excuse me. Because if the popular vote goes to anyone else, those those states would go blue. The Electoral College effectively results in voters casting ballots not for their desired presidential candidates, but for 530 electors who in turn select candidates. The mechanism clinched President Donald Trump, the 2016 presidential victory, despite Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton winning a popular vote majority by nearly 3 million. And so I believe I have those numbers uh, actually where here we go. Donald Trump had 62.9 million. Hillary had 65.8. Gary Johnson had 4.4. Jill Stein had 1.4. It's actually a lot of votes for Gary and Jill. Not too bad. CNN ends by saying, my view, and this is from Elizabeth Warren, my view is that every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen is that we can have national voting. And that means get rid of the electoral college and every vote counts, she said. Other candidates have since taken up the same position. This is a terrible idea. It's a terrible, ter- it's a horrible, horrible idea. For one, I explained, this will likely result in blue states giving their electorates to Republicans, which makes absolutely no sense. But let's talk about this thing called the blue wall. And this is why uh, the, the idea is, is, is a terrible, terrible idea. The blue wall is a term used by political scientists and pundits to refer to 18 U.S. states and the District of Columbia that the Democratic Party consistently won between 1992 and 2012. But why 2012? Because here we can see on this map, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. These states are uh, part of the blue wall. However, we can then see that Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania flipped red. Why? Well, let me show you a meme to explain it. This is, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know who this meme is, but it's like the Hardy Boys or something. He's holding up a book that said, What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. He looks inside the book and it says, I didn't campaign in Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin. I didn't campaign in Wisconsin, Michigan, and the Midwest. He then goes on to say, goddamn Russians. The point is, it is. It, I would assume Hillary thought it was such a guarantee they would win these states. She didn't bother going there. And Trump did. And Trump talked about why the free trade agreements were bad. He talked about bringing the economy back, the manufacturing base, and it resonated in these three states, which helped Donald Trump secure his victory. So will a national popular vote coalition matter? In my opinion, it won't. But let's talk about the importance of the Electoral College. Here we have, uh, this is the, the national popular vote site. And they try, and they try and use an argument often used to support the Electoral College. They claim that because of the way the system is set up, people only campaign in states where they think they're going to win. This is actually wrong. And this is a very, very strange argument. I would, I would honestly, 
If someone were to ask me, I would say this is Republican black propaganda. Republicans trying to convince Democrats to vote against their own interests. Of course, that's not the case. It's conspiratorial. But think about it. The only reason people campaign in these states is because they have a potential to swing these states. As we saw, I just showed you, the blue wall fell. Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania flipped red. Well, maybe Hillary Clinton should have campaigned there. But of course, she didn't. In reality, if we get rid of the Electoral College, people will only campaign in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles because those are huge bases. Of course, they'd go to other cities, but they would, they would ignore smaller jurisdictions. Many people say, why should it be that someone who lives in a rural area, why should Wyoming get two senators? They ask. Well, it should. 100%. Absolutely. And I'll explain to you why. I covered the drought. You may have heard me talk about this many times. This is one of the best examples what you're seeing now on your screen, for those that are, are, that are watching, if you're listening, we're looking at a YouTube video of mine called California's Drought, A City Without Water. Uh, the description reads, the town of Porterville is ground zero for the drought, and, it's on the eastern, uh, and on its eastern edge lies East Porterville, a town where local residents have run out of water entirely. Because there's not enough people there. What do you think happens when there is a drought? What do you think happens when resources are finite? Does it necessarily make sense to vote based on resource? Not entirely, but we do need to protect the concept. People in this town are low income, mostly migrants. They had no water because the farmers were drilling for groundwater. The groundwater was then being sucked up, lowering the water table, resulting in residential water wells going dry. This was a small town where across the street was a golf course with sprinklers on. This is what happens when you are in the minority and you are voting based on simple popular vote. You end up with people being stripped of their access to drinking water. But it gets even more, more complicated than this. In Tulare County, where, this, uh, where these uh, uh, people live, the farmers, as they explained to us, this may not be completely accurate, but this is what we, we, when we interviewed them and this is what we looked up, we talked to some experts, they said, California votes. And the big cities voted to take surface water to the big cities. That means the farmers in these areas minding their own business, cannot have their own water. It rains a little bit. The water runs down, but they're not allowed to touch it because it has to be sent off to the cities who outvoted the rural areas. Think about what that results in. So one of the things that's really interesting is people talk about Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote, why it's all important. But did you know that Trump won 2,662 counties and Hillary Clinton won only 487 counties. What we're, what we're looking at on the screen is from the Associated Press. Trending story that Clinton won just 57 counties is untrue. Now, the reality is Hillary Clinton won 487 nationwide and Trump won 2,626. When you look at it that way, it's kind of a very different narrative. You can talk about Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote, but all that means is that a ton of people live in Los Angeles and New York. It means nothing for what actually runs this country. Simply because people choose to live in crowded urban areas should not mean that those crowded urban areas get more access to resources than any other jurisdiction. Further, we don't live in a direct democracy. We live in a democratic republic, a constitutional republic, a liberal democracy. All of these things refer to the same thing. We have democratic institutions to elect leaders based on region. States vote because states are part of a union. We are not necessarily just one simple country. We are a, a, a United States where each state has its own ability to pass laws 
and choose how they run their own elections. By all means, to these states, by all means, feel free to you know join the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. I believe it's called. What is it? The, the, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. But let's go back and look at this map and just show you there are blue states. They're consistently blue states. Most of the states who have joined it, I believe maybe even all of them, are blue states. That's not going to help you. You are opening up a vulnerability. But more importantly, the Electoral College protects small jurisdictions from the tyranny of the majority. Is it fair that people who live in a small farm town should have their water table drained because Los Angeles wants to have long, hot showers on a golf course? No. In fact, there was one jurisdiction near Carlsbad. They were outraged that they couldn't water their lawns. And these were very, very wealthy people. And this is what you see. The people who live in East Porterville are poor. The people, the people who work in, in Tulare County are mostly migrant farmers, you know, working farmhands and things like that. But the big cities where the, the, the median income is much higher, where people take long, hot showers, where they film for Hollywood, where Hollywood exists, they vote against the interests of the poor, and there's more of them. So the poor people are forced to go without water. And then what do they do? Do they leave? Well, they can't afford it. Let me, let me say it one more time. It does not make sense to hand over authority to the wealthy majority in crowded urban areas so that they can take away your drinking water. That makes no sense. How do we protect smaller counties? We have an electoral system. We weigh votes differently because, look, one of the most important aspects of the Electoral College is that California wasn't always the, the massive powerhouse with a massive population that it is now. It was once an empty, massive Western state. And how did they justify getting as many electoral votes as they did? You can look at Montana or Wyoming. They get only three votes each. Is that fair for such big states? You could argue it's not. But at some point, people might actually move to Montana for some reason or another. If there's a population boom, that will shift the power and Montana will become dominated, will, be, will become dominant and have much more electoral votes. The system makes sense. Unfortunately, uneducated and angry people are going to cut off their nose to spite their face. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She should have won the presidency, failing to recognize she didn't campaign in blue wall states because she was overconfident and she lost them. I will add one more thing. This is potentially bad news for Trump. You had a lot of people in these blue wall states who also didn't vote because they thought it was a foregone conclusion. They thought that these states were going to go blue no matter what. And Trump won by slim margins. It's going to be it's going to be tough. But Trump did boom, uh, bring back the economy. The economy is booming. Three percent low record low unemployment across all demographics. And even Trevor Noah of The Daily Show said recently on Jimmy Kimmel's show that, hey, the economy's booming. Trump, Trump did what he said he was going to do. And even Bill Maher said, you got to give him credit for the economy. This is going to change perceptions. A lot of people voted for Trump for whatever reason. There's a lot of chaos vote. But now he's going to get a lot of people who said, you know what? The economy is good. I don't want it to stop. And the, the, the final point I want to make here is just plain and simple. There are a lot of things that people bring up as an excuse as to why Hillary lost. Oh, the popular vote. Oh, Russiagate, right? It's nonsense. She lost because she was a bad candidate and she didn't campaign where she need where she needed to. But then she blamed the Russians. So anyway, I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. If you want to support my work, once again, you can go to timcast.com slash donate. Um, it's direct, direct uh, contributions from all of you is much better than relying on ad revenue, like some of these big networks that are fizzling out and crashing. 
But let me know what you think in the comments below. Maine has signed on. You know, if, it's, it's possible this could have an impact because let's, let's be real. If enough votes sign this deal and you do get some swing states to sign this deal, it's possible that, you know, Hillary Clinton or, or you know, some other Democrat, they're just going to start campaigning in these big, big cities. The na- in my opinion, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact is extremely dangerous. But you let me know what you think. You keep, uh, we'll keep the conversation going. You can follow me on Minds at TimCast. Stay tuned. I'll have more videos on my second channel, youtube.com slash TimCastNews, starting at 6 p.m. For those that are listening on the podcast, this will be the last segment. But thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m., youtube.com slash TimCastNews. If, you, if you're listening on the podcast and you like it, leave a good review. It really helps, and I will see you all next time.